Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Brees of Copper Beach Financial Group. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Hello, Eric. Hey, Eric. How are you, sir? I am doing fantastic. Merry I'm excited. Christmas. Thank you. Yeah, this this is around the Christmas time. We yeah. won't tell exactly when it is, but I have an ugly sweater on. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, please don't <laughs> send it to us. <laughs> there's no, thank goodness there's no video with this podcast, right? <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, I, I am excited about this podcast. In fact, this one and the next one, because this is a two-part series. And you guys have titled the series, Creating and Building a 100-Year Family Vision. And that to me is exciting. I kind of geek out about this stuff just because of the fact that I I love my children. I love my grandchildren. I I hope that everybody would say that, but I more than, more than love them. I hope for them. I hope that they have a secure future. I hope that they don't have the financial burdens that I had as a youth. And those are things that I'm trying to do myself and my family to, to help that along. And I know that the families that you work with, you are so intent on making sure that the grandparents or the great grandparents know that the the wealth that they've built is being passed down correctly and lessons are learned and and less stress is involved. Yeah, it, it's it's yeah, it, I'm gonna I'm gonna back up about fifty podcasts for a second. <laughs> All right. When we started these podcasts, we we got very specific on each one of them on techniques and Mm-hmm. Uh, opportunities and trusts and how they all work. And if you go back and listen to all the podcasts, they're all educational on a very specific topic. But but I'm going to back up and say, well, why are we doing all this? I mean, that's really one of those deep questions. Why does a family do this? Or why? what would motivate them to do this? And, and Michael and I kind of got our thoughts together with some help, some friends. We talked about 100-year-old family plan. And what that means is we, we always work in generational structures. And if you go back again, to all our podcasts, they're all designed to transfer wealth generationally. But, but why do we do all this is, 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 is I think the point to the, to the conversation today. And it has to be a commitment to that. G1 has a big responsibility. Mm-hmm. They kind of start everything. They, they kind of build the vision. They're the, they're the wealth creators. And if you go back to that proverb that we've talked about in the past, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves every third generation. If you look at that proverb, and it was actual study that was done, that they, they looked at very wealthy families around the world, actually, and they, and they couldn't figure out or, or they started to recognize that every third generation, these wealthy families would lose their wealth, which was surprised the heck out of everybody. But, but we know the reasons why, and if you listen to some of our podcasts, that it's self-explanatory, but but our focus is how do we protect that from happening to these families? So G one has a big responsibility to ha- start that vision and create that messaging or that structure to allow that all to happen. And then you get to the second generation, and and Michael will jump in here in a little bit. They have the responsibility to maintain and perpetuate that wealth that G one mm-hmm. started, and the third generation has also responsibility, what do I do with it when we receive it or we have the opportunity to take advantage of it? Now, when you get beyond that G3, it's always a gray area for our clients. That's like over 100 years. Not that you can't discuss it, and we have 
with many of our clients, but they seem to have a focus on, I want to make sure I'm okay. And my wife and I are, are, are have what we have. And then after we feel comfortable, what we have, we want to make sure our kids are good. They have what they need. And then once we feel comfortable, they have what they need. Then it's, and then it gets back to the, the local communities, the charities, mm-hmm. and how do we help them? So it's really this strategy of how we and why we build this. So the why is why we're, we're having this discussion today. Why does the family want to build this? I think the main preface is they want to perpetuate wealth and be able to support the generations beyond them. We always have a funny term. They want to manage from the grave. That's always an mm. interesting conversation I have with our families because they all want to try to do that and they can't, but then most certainly they could set things in motion through this structure to help them achieve that. Yeah, I think when you look at if, if a family wants to avoid that shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves proverb, it's, it's really looking at every family. Every family has an uphill battle when you get to a point where you have a lot of financial success, that your responsibilities almost change. And it's a very interesting, I think, philosophically, it kind, of, kind of that mind shift, because many of us, whether right or wrong, are trained into thinking that the financial success is really the end game. If you are fortunate enough to have that financial success, let's say early on in your life or even in middle age, now the shift uh, sometimes is no longer that. And, and, and so what's next, right? So the, the, this, this concept of having a, a family, think about it being a hundred year family and, and the responsibilities that that entails is sometimes a little bit of a, a different shift or a different uh, viewpoint. What we tried to do with this particular podcast is hopefully look at the individual generations, G1 to let's say G3 and beyond, and sort of what responsibilities do each of them have? What are the, some of the things that they should look to do to hopefully avoid that shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves proverb? So that's what we're going to try to talk about today. All right. Well, I mean, this is obviously a big conversation. So where do we start? Well, I think we should start with, well, let's start with, with a generation one. So maybe let's maybe keep this somewhat personal dad so you're you're gen, gen one although i do find it interesting that i mean you're you're really not gen you're every generation if you think about it you're gen one as it relates to me and i'm gen two but you're also g2 as it relates to your parents and g3 to your grandparents so yeah but my parents were poor so i'm g1 <laughs> yeah you're g1 as it as it relates to creating the wealth to, right. right the financial success so for purposes today you're g1 so what are what would you say are the things that that are are important responsibilities if you're trying to avoid the shirt sleeves, the shirt sleeves proverb, G1 needs to really think about. Yeah. And as I said a, a little while ago, there it's the starting point. And, and if you go back to, again to our podcast, we talked about trust structures. We talked about legacy letters. We talked about family mission statements. We talked about family meetings and communication processes. That's all part of that G1 vision to set it up properly. And they're the, and they, they are the only ones that can start that. Not that the G2 can aid in that in that discussion. G1 has the vision to say, I want to create this. I want to make sure this this happens to the, to the next two generations beyond us. So they're the, they're the catalyst. They're the visions for this. I think the first step would be to really sit down as a G1 member of, of our group, <laughs> the G1 team, and think about, do they really want to create this 100-year family? We talked to a family today, actually, a client earlier this afternoon. When we did projections out of his net worth, 
he was shocked that he had the wealth that he, he, he was going to have 30, 40 years from now. And where I think a lot of the, a lot of the people we work with families, they get surprised of their success. Again, it goes back to, if you start with a $5 million asset today, let's assume you're worth $5 million, Eric, and you invest it at a, at a certain rate of return, let's assume you get a 7% rate of return on that $5 million. The rule of 72 says, if, if, you, if you manage it over that period of time, you're going to double that asset based on that rate of return over a 10-year period of time. So you take the rate of return divided by 72, and that gives you that calculation. Let's do the math. If you're worth $5 million today and you're 50, and 10 years from now, it's going to double in value. The next 10 years, that asset base is going to double in value. So you see very quickly how your net worth can explode mm-hmm. in value just by normal strategies of, I'm going to get a 7 to 10% rate of return, which everyone would probably believe that's a, that's a pretty reasonable rate of return, not aggressive, not conservative, but it's kind of in the middle. And most people we come across say, yeah, that's a reasonable rate of return over the course of, of time. You look at that strategy, G1's got to recognize that they have wealth today, but if they, live a, if they live a normal life expectancy, that wealth is going to be a lot greater. So they got to plan for that. That's why, again, going back to the trusts, the mission statements, the legacy letters, they have, everyone's got to be directed that this wealth is going to happen just because it, it's there and we're going to create it. Now what? And that's really what that G2 is going to be wrestling with. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point you brought that up because that is almost like a pre, it's almost like a pre-step in the sense that I think G1, most, you mentioned that that client we talked to earlier, and a lot of families are that way. They don't quite have the perspective on maybe what their family financial success might look like in the future. So that's almost almost step one uh, or pre-step one is to get that foundation first so that you can get yourself accustomed to, yeah, this is really a reality for yeah. our family and something we're going to be responsible for maintaining and, and again, avoiding that shirt sleeves proverb. Yeah. And we showed him the numbers. His last comment to us was, here's my goal, guys. I want to protect that. I want to put it in trusts that have trusts, that have trusts. <laughs> he was funny. So he he understood that it was going to take a yeoman effort to make sure that this wealth that he was creating was going to get where he wanted it to go. By the way, he believes in that 100-year family structure. That's his desire. And you have to have that from the beginning. So stay with G1 for a second. The G1's got to commit to that and build the models to 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 get out to those next two generations and make sure it's secure and, and and protected. Yeah, I would add to that. Once you've gone through that step, I think a really important one for Gen One to to sort of lay out are are the values and what what does it mean to be an important member of that particular family? Because I think that it although I think most generations of the family might be able to figure that out on their own. I think Generation One is really again, typically taking the leadership mantle really in a good position to really lay that out there. Because if you have listened to our podcast in the past, you know that family values are a very, very important component to avoid that shirt sleeves proverb. You mentioned that a good amount. I think Gen 1 has a, a responsibility to really put that out there and lay that out there and, and kind of get those get that conversation started a little bit too. Yeah, what helped it along, and I'm, I'm going to go back to this client because it's fresh in my memory today. When you looked at his estate documents... His, his estate poured out to the kids when they turn age 30. So how does that perpetuate asset protection 
and structure to a 100-year family. It doesn't because when the money pours out potentially to that 30-year-old, what happens if there's a, a drug issue? What happens if there's a bad marriage involved? What happens if there's litigation already in motion with that child? There could be a lot of factors that might not be positive to pour out that kind of money to that 30-year-old, which was substantial in his numbers. That's what lit him up. He says, I don't want that to happen. When you look at our analysis and review and audit our clients' estate documents, we see that, as we've said in the past, we see that a lot where these trusts and these documents stop over a period of time and pour everything out. And that disrupts what I think we're trying to accomplish with this 100-year family. Buying onto this as G1 is a key factor to all this. And remember, that G1's kind of an interesting character. You ever read the book, The Millionaire Next Door? I haven't. It's it's a great book. And the whole the, the basis of the book is there's millionaires next door that look like they're average people. Mm-hmm. They still drive the sedan. They don't have you know, they just live in a, a eighteen hundred square foot rancher. They don't they don't live high level and they hide their wealth because they're not accustomed to enjoy their wealth because they're the builders of it. It's a great book. I forgot the author, but it's called The Millionaire Next Door. That personality, that person looks at their wealth very differently. They don't enjoy it, but but they're responsible for it. That whole conversation we have with that type of a client, say, okay, if you if you don't want to enjoy it, that's okay, but you now have to be responsible for what you created. Mm-hmm. And now we've got to get it to the next next two or three generations if that's what you so choose. That's why building this 100-year conversation or family plan is a dialogue that we could spend a lot of time discussing with that G1 individual or well, family. It, it seems to me that it's it's so individualized. I mean, because you brought up a couple different scenarios there. Number one, if G1, like yourself, grew up in a situation where you didn't have a whole lot of money, you said- Poor. You're, you're I was poor. poor. Let's yeah, say poor. poor. Yep. Yeah. And you build the wealth, you have, I think, more of a respect for it. Then and and you guys are an anomaly, okay? Because you both work in financial services and you you have built a system teaching this. So let's take another family that is not you guys. Father, son, father knows the hard work, respects what has happened, understands the wealth. The child has probably grown up with in a much better neighborhood than his father did, and and with much better opportunities and newer items, and maybe was gifted a car uh, at a young age and kind of got things handed to them. There's not necessarily a lack of respect, but not an understanding. And then you give the other example that you just did, the millionaire next door. You have someone who's accumulated wealth, who hasn't spent it, so their children didn't see an extreme amount of wealth in the situation. If they get something handed to them, it's more like a lottery ticket win. Again, there's no respect for it. There's no understanding of it. There's no understanding of the work that went into it. Truly, they just know that their parents worked. They just didn't see the fruits of their labor until they got handed a check. I can imagine how complex it would be and how individualized it has to be for each family. Oh, it, it, clearly. And, and getting back to your example is the fact that mom and dad have the wealth and they, they know the responsibility of it. And they, they, You can't surprise your kids with that. They, 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 they got to understand what's coming. That's where, again, going back to the mission statements, the legacy letters, and that communication to between generation one and generation two is critical to this next step. As we said in the past, a lot of the families are reluctant to share their wealth with their kids for mm-hmm. a lot of reasons. I don't want them to be spoiled or you know, not work for a living or whatever the, the objection is. 
it is what it is. You have wealth. What do you do with it? It's got to. It's got to. It's got to move to the next generation. The better you educate your 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 G two on the responsibility of that wealth, it's there for their benefit, and their responsibility is going to pass it to the next generation, i.e., to the grandkids. Because that, and Michael will tell you, every conversation I have with him today is not about me and my wife. It's about them and their kids. It's everything I'm setting up now is not for me and my wife, Debbie. It's for Michael, my two daughters, Laura and Alicia, and my three wonderful grandchildren, one on its way in February. So that's really my focus. So I'm, I'm in that mode where the things I'm doing today is setting G2 up successfully, hopefully, and then get it to G3. Now, I, to, I'm fortunate because I got Michael in the business. You're absolutely right, Eric. Michael has the legacy of our philosophy and our vision of Copper Beach, and he's going to be an educator to my two daughters and obviously to, to, to the grandkids on that, on that legacy of concept. Mm-hmm. I would add to, I think, and Eric, you brought it up a, a little while ago, or, or maybe not overtly, but I, I think it's a lot of adaptation. And I mentioned a little earlier mm-hmm. where when a family has the financial success, they, they almost have to shift their their thought process or their responsibilities a little bit. I, I do think it is a lot of, like adaptation plays into it a lot. And, and that, because we're talking about G1, I think that That'd be interesting to get your perspective on this if you don't, well, you don't mind sharing personal stories. You shared a lot of personal stories on, on this podcast, but you did grow up in not the same financial circumstances or success that I did. I remember- I told you it was Paul, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> well, but the adaptation is, and when I say adaptation is because sometimes I think generation one can be, they haven't adapted to that land of wealth. I, and I use that term that was coined in Jim Grubman's Strangers in Paradise book, which I've mentioned quite a few times. It's a really great book. I'll say it again. I, I feel like I say it every podcast, but it, it is a very good book. But the, the adaptation to this land of wealth, Generation One sometimes tries to hold too, too, or, or too close to where they came from because they want to make sure that their Generation Two and Three really understands that work ethic that they went into. But at the same time, you're really not in that world anymore. So right. how do you balance that? Because you can certainly go too far and you can you can go get to the point of spoiling where they don't have that work ethic. But I do think you can you can be not going far enough and and not really enjoying the financial success that you've worked so hard to create. I mean, I'd be interested to hear your perspective on that from a, a Gen 1 person. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, Michael. It's, it's, it's a hard, it's a battle. It's a, it's a challenge for G1. In, in my particular situation, it's really how do I let go of that past and how do I perpetuate the growth of the success that I've had to the next generation? There's no right or wrong answer to that, I guess, but I got to let it go. And, and I, can't, I can't put that burden on my kids. It was my life. It wasn't their life. And I know that they don't have a perspective on that. I don't expect them to. But, but my kids are, are amazing kids. And I'll say that, and I've said it to you before. I remember when Michael started with Copper Beach, I told him I would pay for his, his law school. He said, no, 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 no. That wasn't the deal, Dad. You told me you're going to pay for undergraduate. I got law school. With that said, if you understand that conversation, Michael respected the fact that he was going to be accountable for his success and he was going to f- front that bill and he's paid and he's paid his loan off. He's done a great job doing that mm-hmm. over the last few years. The value shift between my generation or me to Michael at this in this conversation was great because Michael, although they're spoiled to a certain degree because they have 
Again, they don't have that history that they have to worry about money. They never had to worry about money, but they respect it. They understand mm-hmm. how hard their mom and dad worked. And that gets back to that G1 conversation with G2. There's got to be that relationship or this, or it falters along the way. There's got to be an honesty. I guess that's your point, Michael. Well, it's yeah, an honesty. Involved. Well, that example you just gave was, I think, an, well, tuning my own horn here. I recognize that you made that that effort to or that offer to to pay for my law school education because you I think I'm putting words in your mouth but you wanted you you didn't want me you know because you paid for all of your education and you paid for my undergraduate education and you were offering to pay for my law school and I decided that I wanted to have more of that work ethic and not have that handed to me. So that was maybe tuning my own horn a little bit, but that's, I think, a good balance between the generations of, of balancing you as generation one wanting to share in the financial success in generation two and me maybe saying, well, no, no, I want to be able to be more, almost be more like generation one because I thought that that was a value to me, that I wanted to have that knowledge of, of paying for, for you know, an, a, an educational loan off like so many other people do. An interesting example, but I think that's a good balance that sometimes you have to strike, and it is challenging a lot of times. Yeah, and and I th- I think, and I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, but I probably should be in a lot of conversations. I, I think the challenge families have is that communication. See, Michael and I have always been comfortable speaking on topics. Mm-hmm. Some families don't have that ease. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a stress point involved. They got to break through that because this is t- this is too important of a vision for the family not to make that happen. There's got to be an effort on both parties to sit down and start discussing these issues. We always preach the, the earlier, the better. So when we work with our families, if, they're, if their kids are 14 and 13, we start that process before they form bad habits, yeah. as an example, before they get to college, you get crazy. The whole reality, too, is you start them as young as possible to understand the breakdown of communication that can happen if you don't if you don't talk about things and you can't assume that mom said this or dad said this, there's a misunderstanding most of the time. So clarity becomes important. G1 has the responsibility to start the process and build it, not only from a structure standpoint, but from a vision and a communication standpoint. They got to deliver that message to G2 and make it permanent as a strategy for the family. Now there's going to be variables and there's going to be variations. There's going to be bumps in the road, but that's expected. You got to work through those. And as long as, as long as I'm here, my, my aid to G2 at this point is helping them understand what I'm trying to accomplish for them and for their children. And that's, and that's the messaging involved. And, and, and my wife is in the loop of that uh, on a lot of fronts. She leaves it up to me to kind of carry the baton because obviously a lot of things we do is complex and, and she, she leaves it in my good hands. And the fact that Michael's a JD and, and in, in the business, she trusts both Michael and I kind of building, building that for the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dad, talk about, talk about leadership a little bit from gen one to gen two. And I don't know how, what your thoughts are. Is that you, would you put that in a gen one responsibility to impart leadership in gen two, or would you impart that? Or would you say that's a gen two responsibility to pick that up from gen one? I think it's a combination of both, Michael, because I think, I think parents and, and Eric, you could probably jump in too. We know instinctively who our kids are. 
mm-hmm. I guess. You, you know, who's the one that's going to be the, the one that's going to be the decision maker? Someone makes quick decisions, someone that doesn't make quick decisions. So I think, I think parents have an understanding of who their kids are. The first step would be what children or what child I have in, in my, in my family that has that leadership skill. This doesn't mean they'll be great leaders, but they have the skill because I'm, I'm a firm believer you can't teach leadership. I don't know. And people would disagree with me in some circles, but I think leaders are not created. Leaders are born and they have an instinct about certain things. If you don't have that instinct, leadership's going to be a challenge to, to, to those folks to try to try to adopt that philosophy. Again, it's not a bad or good. It's just a, it's just a personality or, or genetic makeup. So to find that out, I think parents have to start looking at their children and say, if something were to happen to both of us today, who would have that leadership role in the family? So to Michael, your point, it's part of our responsibility, but it's part of the responsibility of the three siblings to step up and say, here's what the role I would like to take in the family as things change and flow generationally. And that's just really, I think it's a combination of both. I would I would agree with you on that. I will just challenge one piece of it, and and that is I'm a behaviorist at heart. Part of how I was trained and and educated is to observe, describe behavior, and understand it generationally. In that scenario, in fact, Michael, to your point earlier when you were talking about having conversations with money and whether somebody's going to bring it up or not. In in my own example, my dad did not have a father growing up. He lived with four sisters and his mother to relate to me as a son was very difficult. And he, we just didn't talk, right? We didn't talk about those things that like you and, and John have pretty open conversations. Same thing on my mother's side. It was a very close relationship with her parents, not a whole lot of talking. So there wasn't a whole lot of outlet there and not, we never talked about money. We never talked about anything past superficial things, to be quite honest. John, to your point, talking about leadership being born, being born a leader or being taught, I think there's a middle ground. I think someone being born is either extrovert or introvert in in a lot of ways, and there's some crossover there, but leaders are more extrovert than they are introvert in most cases. Correct. So Mm -hmm. instead of just being taught, the the parents need to set that example, lead by example, show, and a child who has some natural charisma or is a little bit more extrovert will learn leadership by modeling, right? It's not something they're going to get out of a book. They're going to see it from their parents, and they can be conditioned or educated in that way. Someone who's an introvert may not go in those lines just because of the fact that they don't like that confrontation or they don't want to step up and say something out loud necessarily. So I think there's that middle ground. No, I, 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 I agree with that, Eric. I do. I do. I agree. And with I that. think it goes back yeah. a lot to values yeah. too, really. Absolutely. I think if, if you were to look at a leader and what values they represent, I think that if you're talking about transferring those values to future generations, that they could be those type of values that, that a leader would possess. And to your point, Eric, maybe you hope that that's something that future generations pick up on because they, they learn by example. Yeah. 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 If you study leaders and you look at their qualities and what makes them good leaders, and I, I can't remember what book I read years ago. I've read so many books on, on this in the past. One thing stuck in my mind, there's three basic personalities, traits that good leaders have. And they all, all of them have these three. There's many other ones, but they have these three. One, they have a vision for what they believe in, what they do. Mm-hmm. They have enthusiasm for it, and they have strong work ethics. So if you're going to recruit someone to your firm, that's what you interview for. Those are the people you want 
working for you. And they're the leaders that, that would take a, a project or take a concept and run with it because they have the enthusiasm and the vision and they have the work ethic to make it work. I'm not trying to get into psychology here, but, but I, I look for that in families as well. Because I said to this family today, my job is not to motivate you, is to find motivated families. Mm. I, if I have to motivate you, it, it does, doesn't work. Because I can't force you to, to build this 100-year family plan. You have to be motivated to do that. And my job is to guide you. That conversation, I, and I, I know we always talk about being psychiatrists, but that's what we do every day with our families. Mm -hmm. we, we guide them as best we can to hopefully make the right decisions. They might not agree with us 100%. They might take a different route. But again, we throw it on the table. And as I said to this client today is our job is to educate you on options that you have to build this. You, you're the ones going to make the decision. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to battle you on. I'm just going to suggest to you that if you make that decision, do a, here's the ramifications of that. If you do B, here's, here's the ramifications of that. So our, our job is not to tell people to do anything. It's to advise them on their issues, what, what they have to address, and they have a lot of avenues to take care of it. And, that, and that's really the world we live in. So G1, getting back to our original conversation today, G1's got to start that ball. And, they, and there's, a lot of, there's, a, there's a lot of communication, a lot of mm -hmm. thought process, a lot of meditation about, do I, A, want to create a 100-year family? If that's the case, what steps do I have to take, do to make sure that happened? The next conversation is going to be in what those steps we take. All right. Well, that sounds good for the next podcast because we're low on time. Michael, do you have any closing thoughts for today's content? We covered a lot of ground here, I think, with, with Gen 1. I, I I thought maybe we'd get into Gen 2 or Gen, Gen 3. Gen 1's exhausted. But we, <laughs> we had a lot of good conversations about Gen 1. Yeah, looking forward to uh, next one. With I'm going to let Gen, Gen 2 take this one. What do you think next podcast, Eric? Sounds good. Gen 2's got it. I guarantee it. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much. This was great content. Thank you, Eric. A lot to think about. A lot for families to be thinking about. Stay tuned for that next podcast because you know, we're going to get into the meat of it even farther and kind of learn some of those strategies. Before we close, I want to thank you for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. It also makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC-registered investment advisor.
These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc. and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy.